0: And welcome to the Super 70 Podcast. Special Report, O'Galveston with Dave Anderson. I'd like to open by thanking everyone for still subscribing to the Super 70 Podcast after four years. I'm not as prolific as I'd like to be, so I thank you for being patient. Dave and I have a lot planned, and I hope you'll stick around for some more commentaries and interdisciplinary discussions on film as art. A few weeks ago, Dave and I spent the weekend on Galveston Island, cracked a few beers, and took on some uncomfortable topics. These include, but are not limited to, the two most controversial films of the 1980s. Why films with problematic racism should be protected as time capsules. We celebrate the release of Bruce Lee's Greatest Hits by the Criterion Collection. Then we wrap up discussions by arguing over how to pronounce the names of Hollywood legends Sidney Poitier and Kirstie Alley. Join Dave and I on Galveston Island just weeks before it was forced to evacuate for Hurricane Laura. I didn't have anything like profound or controversial. I just happened to the last time you left, I turned the page and I found all these other notes oh, that okay. we never got to mainly because Kirby no, barged in. It was an and, organic thing. Yeah, it was. It flowed. Like Bruce Lee says, be water. Yeah. Right. So I just had a number of things that I wanted to run through. If we so, had the time, like now we got and time. It's, it's a beautiful day. It's not bad. Weather in Galveston is... It's uh, muggy. Yeah. It's hotter than shit outside. I'm actually... I'm impressed and I'm fearful.
1: Impressed and fearful of what?
0: The weather. Why are you impressed? It's just... It, well, to to generate that much heat and uh, to cast it upon a place to make things so miserable mm-hmm. is impressive. Yeah. But n- we don't want to be out in it. No, yeah,
1: yeah. not right now. So, it's. 5 o'clock will be fine. Yeah, well, no, we hope terrible. so. But it should. It's almost 3. Well, I don't know if it's almost 3 or not, but it's going to be getting to the hot part of the day. It's 1.40. So. Right. Are you recording now? Well, I am recording Oh, that. okay. Yeah. So you can just edit this and. Yeah, I can just
0: pull that. Do what back, you like. Okay. Or I might no, just let it run. You can it can do it what you, right. you like. Be water. There you go. All right. So I.
1: The lime juice.
0: <laughs> the. um. The next thing I had on my list was sort of recognizing these sort of times that we live in now where we've got protests and marches all over the country. And again, we, we're, this is not a political show. We no. don't get into politics and, unless it relates directly to the, the film that we're usually discussing. Um, but I wanted to run a, a few movies by you. For instance, you know, I, I asked you in the middle of quarantine, Probably within one or two weeks of lockdown, and said, "Hey, why don't you want to come over and do Contagion?" You were like, "Are you fucking nuts?"
1: Like, nah, that's not my bag.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> but uh, have we're you? Too deep-
1: busy reading The Hot Zone. Oh, no. <laughs> that's
0: okay, all right. <laughs> uh, but you've seen Contagion?
1: I don't believe I have actually. I oh. know what it is. It's Soderbergh, Ride right, and Gwen mm-hmm. Paltrow and Matt Damon, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't believe I've ever seen it because it's that type of thing has never been my f- thing that I've tried to like. The Andromeda Strain, and excellent film. It's just yeah, but that has never been a subgenre that's ever been appealing to me. You know, I haven't seen, and I don't think I ever will watch. Uh, what's the? Uh, it's Cabin Fever.
0: Oh, I haven't seen that Eli either. Roth. It's just yeah. one of
1: those. It's that type of stuff. I. It just never. So I'm not loving now. Yeah. Not that this is Ebola by any stretch of the imagination, but right. Getting that kind of sick kind of creeps me out.
0: It should creep everybody out.
1: Man, yeah, some people find it fascinating. I mean, Contagion was one of the highest rated rentals when all this started going down.
0: Yeah, it was within a couple of weeks. I, I well, I saw it creeping up on Voodoo. You know, the top ten at Voodoo, and mm-hmm. and then just during the the lockdown, right. all of the month of March, it was the bestseller. I, I had it on Blu-ray. I think I bought it. Um, In January, For for our listeners' information, I've actually traveled to China quite a few times. Dave already knows this. And so when I I saw what was happening in in Wuhan, I I was kind of, I was paying attention to it. I was speaking about it with Luke. I was at Half Price Books. I found a copy of of Contagion on Blu-ray. I picked it up. And Luke and I watched it, I think, in late January. I'll have to check my letterbox. And Luke was pretty, like, amazed by it. And then to our amazement, not even a month later we just saw events play out in real time right it was it was effectively the plot of the film it was really uh quite disturbing so so that so there was that so you didn't like outbreak or did, oh, you, outbreak did you catch just that bad
1: movie right uh, yeah but it was one of those like i said from a very general standpoint plague movies have just never been something that for whatever reason it's one of those that touches my Ooh, i don't like it yeah type of things and so no, I, I, if I've seen Outbreak, it was like when it came on HBO, six months after it was released in theaters, type of thing. My God, yeah, like so, twenty years yeah, ago, twenty-three so years ago. Unfortunately, Here. I can't contribute to that. What
0: about one. what about zombie movies?
1: It, man, now I just sound like a guy who doesn't like stuff.
0: <laughs> like twenty-eight days later, and
1: um, I don't have a problem with them. In this the doesn't same way. You. No, I wouldn't say it doesn't interest me so much. Is you know. It, it, I guess as I've gotten older, um, a lot of apocalyptic type of movies interest me less. You know, I found it a lot more interesting and watchable when I was younger. You know, and I guess I've done that reverse thing where the older you get, the more hopeful you get. And you know, because you're young, sometimes you're sort of cynical. Because I remember, yeah, I remember shit way back in the day. I had gotten like the double VHS cassette tape of Dawn of the Dead and stuff like that. And I did like them. I don't dislike them. It's just one of those that. Well, and also now it's been just so overdone. But I mean, hell, Dawn of the Dead is one of my faves. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a zombie movie. That I mean, certainly it is. But you know, I never saw Zombieland though.
0: Oh, the first, the first one, you know, I'm I'm the odd man out on Zombieland. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first hour is good, and then the minute they walk into Bill Murray's mansion, it just falls apart. Right. And I, it took me out of the world, and mm-hmm. I just couldn't couldn't go back. And then part two was just, uh, it just seemed rather oppor- opportunistic. Well, which I mean, every film is opportunistic. Just about every Everybody's, sequel. Yeah, well, sequels <laughs> are even more. Very so.
1: rarely does it make you know sense from a narrative standpoint. Yeah. Course, sometimes it does. Yeah. I mean,
0: sometimes it does. It did have it did have some
1: interesting um I mean I've been I'm still waiting on the uh you know return to stand by me. I think that would make a really <laughs> compelling follow up.
0: Oh well, especially now. Yeah exactly. Because Corey Feldman needs the work.
1: Yeah well, he doesn't he though <laughs> pouring out for Corey Feldman. Uh
0: career. In, in terms of uh uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. I have not had chance. I mean, it just seems so fortuitous that Defy Bloods hit Netflix, and of course, I haven't seen it yet because I'm a horrible person. But I understand no, it sp- might I don't be know if sp- that
1: defines you as a horrible person.
0: It it might be Spike Lee's best film, is what I've been. Oh, hearing I've heard it's quite, yeah, yeah, I
1: haven't watched it either. It's my two watch list, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah.
0: Oh, I mean, if you're going to pick a Spike Lee bin uh, joint out of a out of a bin and watch it, what's your favorite Spike Lee movie?
1: Oh, it's got to be Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing. I mean, thing. that really, that is just a – it's an American classic. It is an exceptionally well-done movie. It was also one of the ones that I really remember seeing in the theater, right? Because it was obviously full of all sorts of controversy and whatnot when it came out. And at that time, it seemed like film was a lot more adventurous, right? And it certainly was, especially from a um, major entertainment standpoint i mean they still make adventurous films now it's just relegated to vod or the netflix or you know whatever service is out there you don't have a whole lot of that being broadcasted out in your cineplexes of course nothing's getting broadcasted on the cineplexes now but i think we know what we mean right right but in that time frame and i don't know if it's the same time but there was a whole bunch of pretty interesting stuff i mean yes spike lee doing his stuff and oliver stone was doing his, and I don't know the timing between Natural Born Killers and Do the Right Thing. It's probably five, six years between the two right. of them. But in my brain, that still probably was my prime in the theater watching stuff. So you saw a lot of experimental stuff and Do the Right Thing is probably one that I revisit every two, three years. Oh. Because it is that good. Yeah. You know, if I had to put my top ten, maybe not favorite, but, quote, best movies, that's probably in the top ten. Wow. <clears throat>
0: Well, I mean, I have to – I have to hand it to, to Spike for really tying in an experience and a cause to something that's so entertaining. Mm-hmm. And if I were to choose – I mean, that was 88, right? That's
1: probably about right, right. 88 in the Yeah,
0: and I remember at the time when it came out and, and, and there was like a, a – strangely enough like a public furor over it Oh, and, big time and and when you watch it you almost you you wonder like what the hell was that public furor about like well, there was a bunch of pissed off kids in the ghetto throwing trash cans
1: well it was it, i mean it was all centered around the end right hmm. when mookie throws the trash can yeah. through the window and it was one of those where it was is pretty ambiguous, right? It isn't really consistent with the character's behavior throughout the vast majority of the film where he's essentially playing Peacemaker as best he can. Right.
0: right? But even he can't take it anymore.
1: Right. And, yeah. well, I mean, and that's the thing that's ambiguous. You're not really 100% sure why.
0: Why and does he throw the Why tracking? does he do
1: it, right? And is it Raheem being killed? Undoubtedly, yes, it is. Or the frustration. Or the But it's one of those that you could really interpret it kind of almost however you want. Mm. You know, I think that... People could look at that 15 different ways, and I think that it really resonated with a lot of people, um, especially in the black community. But I'm black, and I'm not going to pretend to have insight into yeah. anybody's culture. You know, and Lord knows not all black people's cultures are the same. You know, New York yeah. is certainly different than Houston, but it is one of those where I think that resonated with a lot of you know peoples.
0: Well, especially now because there's a lot of, of I, people then out then there a that wanted...
1: people a lot of white critics sit there and said oh that was you know why would he do that yeah right and I think that that was a lot of the furor
0: okay okay I mean' it's, it's easy to go back now and to criticize things or have hindsight on things mm-hmm. and I've, I've never saw it as a as a controversial film when I okay. remember seeing it sometime in the early 90s on on videotape mm-hmm. and I thought well what's what's the big fuss about it seemed Mookie seemed like he was having a, a perfectly rational reaction. Sure. And, and the the people who were being irrational were the racists. That, to me, is, is what didn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, so, to me, that's why I didn't understand the controversy about I don't know if the people I mean, were, they're upset that their friend is killed. That's right. a natural reaction to be yeah, upset. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, I think, well, it's also one of those that, you know, you said you saw it. Several years after the fact. Right, right? right. So it already existed. Not in the heat of the moment. Right. Yeah. And I think there is that thing. Like, there's a lot of experiences that when it's happening, it's a lot more emotional or visceral than even a couple years later when it's embedded. in and, you know, after yeah. a certain well, period that, of time. That's true. Yeah. And after a certain period of time, it becomes mainstream, right? Mm-hmm. You're watching it on the videotape. So, therefore, it's got a certain degree of, you know, general acceptance, right? It's not like some back copy... You know, snuff film that nobody can get their hands on. You know, well, I mean, you take a look at a what was the um, nine-inch nails extended video? I think for closer that you know, for years and years and years, you couldn't see, you couldn't get. Or the
0: Madonna video, the erotica video, right? And a
1: lot of stuff like that where it's certainly probably has a longer period of controversy because it's inaccessible. Well, this is
0: kind of where I was—I was heading with this particular conversation with. Sorry, with, I went with, No, that's okay. With with Spike, um, and the fact that it hit in the late '80s, because there, there were—it seemed like there are very few films that had this much controversy that I remember when I was young. Do the right thing was one. Like I—I sure. I remember there were there were people picketing that movie at my local theater. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. I believe you. Yeah. But I, of course, the other thing was. But, yeah. It's an excellent film, right? It's an excellent film. And people film. don't generally get that worked up over stuff that sucks, right? Yeah. People really gave a shit about, you know, The Last Temptation of Christ. Well, that, yes. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, when to get right down to it, it's a pretty good fucking movie.
0: Right. So that was what the other thing that I was going to bring up. Oh. The, the, the Cinemaxodeon on Westheimer, mm-hmm. um, where you and I discovered a few months ago, we probably were at the oh. same night to see Die Hard, the opening yeah. weekend, uh, just as a matter of consequence years before mm-hmm. we met. I, I distinctly remember driving by, by that place, and there were massive protests for uh, The Last Temptation of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if you look at Scorsese's work, not, not his full body of work, but just um, how he cares to push things in front of you. And it seems like Lee—now, we know that Spike Lee and Martin Scorsese are friends. Right. We know they're buds. And Lee has just gone ad nauseum about how much he, he really respects Scorsese's mm-hmm. work. And Scorsese will be the first one to push you into a spikely joint. Oh, you know, sure. Really digs the man's work. So they're copathetic. But I just thought it as a, as a starting film, something that looks like, so much like Scorsese and does the same things that he's trying to do. And these are the two most controversial films of the late 1980s.
1: That, yeah, I'd probably put that up there for sure.
0: Right. And, and I, I don't remember seeing protesters at a theater until I think it was 2000 or 1999, whenever Dogma came out. That was the next one where people were just out in the, in the streets picketing.
1: I guess I guess I'm just so unaware, right? Because I just I, I can't imagine getting that worked up over anything over like a that. shit monster. Yeah, yeah, it's just to me, it's 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 absolutely ludicrous that you would do that, yeah. right? And I and that's not making fun of anybody's faith or strength of faith. It's just it's this empty gesture in my mind. So I don't quite get it. It's more drawing attention to yourself than. Whatever you're picketing is generally the way I look at it. But okay, go on. I'm sorry.
0: Well, no, that's all right. It was just seemed to be like this this moment that wouldn't happen again for a very long time. And it also seemed, um, as far as the late '80s and the '90s, and where I should say the the change of the '70s, the '80s, and the '90s. Mm-hmm. The '70s is the time where everybody says, you know, the uh, the inmates had control of the asylum, or mm-hmm. rather, the budget of the asylum. And you had the a deep, heavy, pushy our tour movement and then that collapsed effectively people people like Coppola will point to Heaven's Gate and okay. say that's that's it that's the moment Chimino went seven times over his budget and it and they they took yeah, it, it away from us wrong. and the junk bond companies bought the studios right. and,
1: and and to quote you know *Tropic Thunder I mean Chimino went for retard <laughs> right <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> right well I, I mean I love uh Year of the Dragon
1: but that's just a yeah, I mean, he's not an untalented filmmaker. Yeah. Right? But it was like, you know, Heaven's Gate. And I've seen it. It's not bad. Yeah. It's just... It's just it bad. You kind of watch and you go, what's all the fuss about? Right. Right? I mean, it's not terrible. It's not great. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's okay. And it's hard to imagine how it became such the calamity within Hollywood. But sure. it is such a different life than we do.
0: Sure. And, and so, but... My my question to myself was before "Do the Right Thing" and uh, the last temptation of Christ. What what movie before then had been picketed? I mean, I can't I can't think of one.
1: Um, oh, I'm assuming "Guess Who's Coming to Dinner" has some people that were not thrilled with it. In you know because the deep because
0: Sydney Poitier sat down and had dinner with Spencer Tracy. Yeah,
1: I, I, there's yeah. there's somebody somewhere that's going to get upset about something, right? Always. but from a large, large, large gathering. I, gosh, I mean. Ticketing, I don't really remember, right? You know, I remember movies that had a bunch of controversy and talking heads and hand-wringing, right? The Natural Born Killers was one I referenced earlier. Oh, I remember yeah, people were upset over that. Oh, it's going to copycat killers and all that stuff. And, and none of it happened. Well, I, I think that people tried to tie some events to it, you know, and who knows how consistent they are. I think it's absolutely absurd and ludicrous. But yeah, generally speaking, I can't think of anything. But then again, it's one of those over the past – I mean, I I think Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, it wouldn't surprise me at all if there were some people that were picketing it when it came out because of the level of violence in the...
0: In a PG movie. In
1: the PG movie, and Spielberg being America's filmmaker. It's fucking
0: crazy. You know, if you you, you look at Looker, which is like, uh, what, three years before Temple of Doom, and there's... You know there's naked women and in the, in the opening credit sequence, and
1: right and I, thought, I thought Americans were supposed to get a lot more upset about naked women than getting heart stripped out of chest, but I guess I'm mistaken on that one. Yeah, but it's also one of those where Steven Spielberg did make looker.
0: right. well, that's another thing, and it, I don't know if you've seen this film has not yet been rated. It's a documentary I've
1: heard of it, but about
0: the rating it. system and right. just how um, how just unbelievably unfair and arbitrary it is.
1: Well, is it that's interesting.
0: Yeah, you should give that a, a well, watch.
1: I don't know because I think lots of times, and I, I'll, I'll watch it for sure, don't get yeah. me wrong, but it's one of those where I'm not sure if it ever is really that arbitrary, right? It seems to me, and I may be totally mistaken, you've seen it and I haven't, mm-hmm. that the things that really cause problems with rating boards are when things are really well done, right? Okay. I mean, I don't know. Greetings. But go on with your with your thought. I mean, well, no, I
0: mean we all we all know that there are certain general guidelines, like no nudity, one one F word. There are certain things like that. But it is funny because
1: if you look at movies in the late nineties, I mean, Red Dawn, if it came out now, would absolutely be an R rated flick. Yeah, and there's very little blood in that. Oh, see, I remember it being pretty bloody, but I don't recall.
0: Well, lots of people die, and there's lots of situations that are. I mean, it's it's combat Mm -hmm. violence for sure. But as as far as like uh,
1: a, what about the lady in red? Well, the lady in red that was not an R film. No, that was PG thirteen. You're kidding! I remember watching it, and then I saw it again with Kelly Uh LeBrock. That's shocking! That that's it's PG or PG thirteen. Any movie with
0: Gene Wilder in his underwear deserves to be an R. It probably should be NC seventeen. Well, yeah, so we almost got into that last night where NC-17 is – we both agreed. Oh, it's like Probably half the R movies being released need to be NC-17.
1: Oh, is it? Is that right? I don't know if I would say that, but I think that – okay, I'm sorry.
0: That's all right. Dread I'm, woman in needs red. to be NC-17. Yeah, it would be
1: much better served if it was – Yes, yeah, PG-13, woman in red. Woman in red, not a lady in red. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that NC-17 or something – needs to exist
0: it's underused
1: yeah because well it's It's the mark of death now since uh was
0: henry and june and showgirls
1: and then blockbuster wouldn't carry the yeah they wouldn't carry the rating probably amusing to some percentage of your audience like what is this blockbuster you speak of yeah no
0: that's that's all good but getting getting back to the the decade change we there's this image of the 1980s now as the sort of stifling art form, uh, stifling the art form of film and cinema. Right. And I, when you w- look back on that decade, and you see films like The Last Temptation of Christ, and do the
1: right thing, and do the
0: right thing, you you just wonder, like, really is it? The 80s was just such a risk taking time. More low budget films were made in the 80s because they had sure. the direct to video life.
1: I think usually when people are talking about that stuff, they're talking about the, you know, mass entertainment, if you will, right? In the 80s, especially the first half, you know, where you know, the high times of Spielberg and Lucas and all that good stuff. And, yeah, you always had your subversive and more adult fare in there, but you had Top Gun, right? And even Rambo, first Blood Part Two, which was... The hyper-masculine. Well, it's, not, it's, it's kind of guilt-free entertainment, right? It's not asking any deep, challenging, philosophical questions, which you don't need all the time. But I think that's generally when people qualify that they're looking, hoping for, desiring that. Because the 70s certainly had a lot more moral ambiguity in his movies. Sure. It, at least that's our memory of it, right? No, but, I would go with that. So – and I think the 90s probably bounced more to the 70s, and the 2010s t- are probably much more like the 80s with the advent and dominance of the superhero flicks because even Deadpool is – it's kind of – it's kind of faux
0: Yeah, that's subversive.
1: It. Deadpool well, is it, a- it is, but it's also very toothless, right? It's, it's, it's entertaining, but it's kind of – Sophomore, well, dud. Not more. Yeah. It's not kind of. It's more it, juvenile. Absolutely, it's very juvenile. But it's also one of those where it's not asking deep, probing questions about the morality of, you know, watching this, and that's fine, right? It's still a pretty vanilla theme, even though it's just presented in this kind of outrageous package.
0: Yeah, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. So. I mean, we're not, we're not being as challenging to ourselves as an audience by the films that we're making is what you're saying.
1: Well, I don't know if it's that so much, as, but when you're talking about the 80s, you know, having this perception, I think that people look at things like that, and that's how they're kind of defining those eras. Yeah. It, I'm just going off on a tangent, sorry. No,
0: no, I, I think that that's, that's and true. I, and
1: I don't think that's, you know, I don't think it's one of those things where that type of thought is accurate, because you can always find outliers and exceptions. I mean, The sure. Dark Knight Returns is much more adult. Yes. You know, that's actually a pretty adult, you know, or mature, or however you want to put it. And, you know, there's a certain degree of sophistication and complexity that isn't in the other ones. Sure. It's not, you know, the deepest movie of all time. But, yeah, Watchmen's a good example. You know, I don't know if they're successful or not, but they're trying.
0: Yeah. But all those those all those kind of hit at the same time. V for Vendetta.
1: Sure seems like it.
0: Yeah. And... No, I agree that that first decade after 2000, the aughts or whatever we call it, yeah. that was that was more like a return to to the 80s in terms of those film stuff. I mean, the 90s
1: Oh, I think the 90s were exceptional. You know, obviously I'm going to be biased. You,
0: you thought they were exceptional filmmaking? Oh, yeah. Okay, but there were people other than Tarantino making movies. Exactly. That's what I like to remind everybody. Oh, absolutely. I I never found it that exceptional. Like really? compared compared to the 80s and compared to the aughts, I did I didn't think it was really it, it really didn't kick in until 99.
1: Okay. Okay. And I
0: thought that was sort of ringing. Like I'll have to go back and and find the the highs and lows. Right. I bet and, you that, and not looking at an Oscar list. yeah, looking of at a production
1: list. Right, but I I think there was I mean, I might be mistaken, but I mean, if you just take the whole Tarantino out of right. Yeah. I mean, cuz that's including him and all of his, you know, acolytes, right? Well, indie cinema. Indie cinema. Indies, but, I mean, and yeah. The I Coens mean, and Fargo well, well, I winning Best the Picture. See, that's why I wouldn't take that out, right? I'm talking about strictly the Tarantino group subgenre, which, you know, he's, he's phenomenal, right? And he spawned who knows how many copycats. Oh, yeah,
0: Two Days in the Valley. And,
1: yeah, 11 a 45. Is that what it was? Yeah. But, but things that were – various degrees of success. But then you Buffalo sixty six. Right, but you had Linklater coming out, you had Rodriguez coming out. And I don't know if I'm a huge fan of Rodriguez, but I certainly admire what he was doing back oh, then. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. and Kevin Smith, you know, another guy okay, it didn't age all that well, but it's like, oh it's definitely different. Hmm. You know, and you know, when did uh when did seven come out? Lows Late ninety four. Okay. So I think you did have a lot of things then that there were a lot more you know, generally accepted as interesting relative to, say.
0: That's, that's a good point. Um, let me bring up the year. I
1: mean, JFK was the 90s, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, that was 90.
1: Okay, um, I'm sorry. I'm just,
0: that's I'm, all right. I'm rambling. Uh, I mean, at, one, at some point, we're going to have to take a deep dive into the career of Oliver Stone.
1: I don't know if we need to. But Sean, okay, Sean
0: Finnessy did an episode did a, of the yeah, Big Picture podcast yeah, last week. Fennessy and Dom, as they did fine. It would it would make anything that we say irrelevant. It was right. It was a fantastic episode.
1: Yes, although Amanda Davis didn't bring as much to the table as I would like, but that's fine. Yes. Although I really had a problem with Sean Fennessy's equating um, Eric Bedosin's character in um, Talk Radio with what he qualified as the angry radio of today, being Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro, making me wonder. It's like, have you ever heard either of those two people? No, was I don't
0: equate those at all.
1: Yeah, I found that a very unusual thing to say with – kind of a
0: that is kind of i i don't know i i like talk radio i like eric bedausian as an actor it's mm-hmm. kind of disappointing what happened to his career compared to what he just went out guns blazing in that first film right because that was his play if i remember yeah, correctly yeah, yeah. Right? he wrote that play yeah. and then he he directed himself in it like it was a one man
1: like, i think that's right yeah. bottle
0: play and uh after that he was like the villain in under siege 2 on a train or something like I, that i always kind of get
1: the sense he was in control of his own career you know, I bet you 20 bucks he took the Under Siege 2. Is like, well, I, what do I have to do and how much are you going to pay me? Right. Done. Yeah. Okay, but I, once again, I kind of hijacked your original point. Oliver Stone, deep dive.
0: Yeah, we'll have to do that some other time when it's not so obviously right next to Sean Finnessy's episode. Which right. I recommend everybody listen to. Absolutely. But just taking – we should take 1964, 1974, 1984 – Nineteen ninety four. We should we should do. I will do that. I will make a list because in nineteen
1: eighty four alone. Okay. Oh, tells me it's going to be a mind blower. I
0: I can't. We talked before about that podcast called "The Eighties All Over," mm-hmm. which was Patreon supported, so they never finished it. They I think they, it runs from from eighty to eighty five and it quits. But this is nineteen eighty four, Amadeus, which won Best Picture. Right. That's the least impressive film on this short list. Right. Right. Temple of Doom. Buckaroo Banzai. Beverly Hills Cop. The Ice Pirates. Which Ooh. I know you're going to snicker at. Oh, come on. Yeah.
1: I saw The Drive-In. It was so... Good. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I, I, you know.
0: Johnny Dangerously. The Killing Fields. The Last Starfighter. Nausicaa the Valley of the Wind. Once Upon a Time in America. Purple Hearts. The Razor's Edge, Romancing the Stone, Splash, Sixteen Candles, The Terminator. That's an impressive list for any year.
1: Well, it's you know it's ironic in that I actually find that you know when you're going through it, it was definitely peaks and valleys, right? Some of which you and I will find personally, sure. satisfying movies, right? Sure, that would be objectively qualified as trash. <laughs> Irish Pirates, my friend, like would Irish certainly Pirates. qualify. you know? not
0: into space herpes?
1: <laughs> I, personally speaking, I am not. But it's one of those, I can guarantee you, you show someone now. I mean, if you showed your son that, have you shown your son? Oh,
0: that? Uh, yes. And he liked it? Oh, both feet in the water, buddy. Uh, maybe, maybe, I'm,
1: maybe I'd have to recalibrate my perception. I, I,
0: John McTusick and Angelica Houston and Robert Urich. Like there's not much it's to amazing. dislike about It's my, amazing. Okay, uh, Ron Perlman. Uh,
1: <laughs> but, I mean, yes, it is a... Do you have a list of any of the other, like the '74 or? No, 94? I'm going to have
0: to do that. I think for the for the next episode, we're going to do that. So, my my point was, I I just don't. I mean, sometimes I don't know if you're going to have that many good films in all of the 1960s.
1: Oh, you will, absolutely, Yeah, absolutely will. I'm just remembering the dogs. You're talking about the the the, the, the entire. 19th, you're talking about the entire decade. Yeah. And when you have Bonnie and Clyde, and Butch Cassidy, and The Sundance Kid, and The Great Escape, and yeah, I like
0: I like The Great Escape. How many Escape. David
1: Lean movies came out in this? When, when was *Launch of Arabia*?
0: Three. That's sixty-two. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, *Doctor Zhivago*, which is like one of the good, the, the bad, uh, and the ugly. Yeah.
1: I mean, not even getting into international cinema and French New Wave and all that stuff. Just keeping it strictly. Yeah.
0: Sanjuro being 60, I think. Yeah, Yeah, I
1: mean, just being strictly American. I don't know. I think the 60s, especially the later part of it. I mean, Easy Rider is trash, but it was an incredibly important movie.
0: Yeah, for what it did for everything. Okay. So I'm going to have to go back and do research on that for sure for the next one. Um,
1: Now, unfortunately, I'm afraid that it's going to be one of those that when we look at 64, 74, 84, and 94 – Eighty four may be the least impressive of that. Really? I, I think there's a legitimate chance it might be. I think yeah, I suspect I will almost bet you ten bucks on it.
0: Okay. We'll we'll have to do that. I'll I'll have to do that. I'll put together a list and we'll go okay. year by year. Um I mean I'm willing to bet that say nineteen forty four is a lot more interesting than nineteen fifty four. Um we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that wraps up pretty much point one. Okay. <laughs> uh, I finally watched The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Button. That? Okay. I'd be interested in hearing
1: your thoughts on this one.
0: And we got into a Fincher discussion a few episodes ago, and you said that that was your least favorite Fincher film.
1: Well, no, it's not my least favorite Fincher film, Alien 3. Alien
0: 3, but we excluded that.
1: Okay, yeah, if if that is excluded, then it is my least favorite.
0: Okay, what did you not like about it?
1: I just, you know, I only saw it one time in the theater, and it was the only Fincher movie that I recall seeing being underwhelmed by and not totally gripped by. You know, it certainly moves at a more languid pace, and is it one of those where... I'm viewing it through the same lenses that when I saw Jackie Brown, right, where I had an expectation for X and I got Y. And since I really wanted X, I couldn't appreciate Y. I, I admit that's a definite possibility. Is it one of those where how – how long did that come out? 15 years now?
0: It was 2008. Okay. so I'm sorry, 2006. 2006. It was before Zodiac. It was after uh, Panic Room.
1: Okay. So it's, it's one of those that – I. I I would imagine that if I saw it now, I would remember it more, you know, favorably, or I'd look on it more favorably.
0: Okay. Did you lose? I lost my my headphones, but I'm still recording. Go oh, ahead. Okay.
1: But okay, go on. But yeah, it's the one that I have the least interest in revisiting. I mean, I've got no strong desire to watch it again. I mean, I'll watch me, I. You
0: haven't seen it since 2006.
1: Right. I mean, I'll see Gone Girl again for sure, or really Panic Room, or. Yeah
0: Yeah Luke and I Watched Panic Room About three weeks ago That still That still still holds holds up up.
1: Tight taut thriller But I I mean I just remember It being Being I remember the Visual effects being Shockingly good Right I remember the basic story Being Interesting But I just remember It was the first One Maybe only one I've ever seen That I considered Kind of dull Huh Reserving the right To be wrong I mean Making with the admit, admittance so that I hadn't seen it since it came out. Okay, what do you think? Well, I can kind of guess.
0: Yeah. Well, I I thought that it was extremely powerful. Uh-huh. Um, I see I see a lot of uh, Kubrickian point making with venture in in terms of him hitting you over the head of something that's really so obvious that a lot of times the audience will miss it. You know, the, the floating pin being one of those primary examples in 2001, where the floating pin was supposed to represent the, the fact that man is not in control of these things in outer space, that he's, he's got to create an environment in order to exist out here. Yeah, and,
1: I thought it was just a cool transmission to go into the spaceship, but okay, go on.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the, uh, uh, that's what I thought my initial viewing too, but it's just so fairly obvious to everyone that man is not in control of his circumstances that why would you think for any extra second on the floating pin? But that's, that was Kubrick's long drawn out point on this, on that topic. And then, then there's the conclusionary uh, step that he wants you to take when, when you're standing in the crater and the monolith is there and, uh, man takes a photo of it because that's what man does in that circumstance. Is he takes photos of things that are neat, and he might as well have brought his Hawaiian shirt to the moon. You know that type of of situation, and not everyone can can make that that conclusionary step, and and that's fine. I I, I saw Benjamin Button as as Fincher's kind of if I were to describe it as anything, perhaps his ode to love. Okay. And his his ode to life. And yeah, I
1: mean, sure. I, I yeah, that seems fair and reasonable for sure.
0: And that seems fairly obvious to state given the context of the film. But I, I thought that he he went through great lengths of just painstakingly planning out very specific um, uh, sequences to to show you the the great challenge of what it was for this man to go through this reverse life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I greatly. I greatly appreciated the man being 70, but mentally he's 10. And then the reverse, mm. right? Like chronologically he's 70, but physically he's 10. Right. And I thought that reverse flow was was actually quite quite ingenious. I mean, obviously Fincher didn't write the film, but just the way that he conveyed it, particularly with Kate Blanchett, right. was, I thought it was very, very well done. But and, did you like
1: it? Oh, I loved it. Okay. I loved it. I watched it again immediately. Okay. Now, I remember Nicole liked it a lot. Yeah. Right? So I'm not saying that y'all haven't gotten more of it. Like I said, it's, I admit it's very much one of those things where I had a certain level of expectation mm-hmm. where that's on me more than the film itself.
0: Well, yeah, you can really – that's why I like going in with, with no expectation. But it was also one of the reasons why it sat on my shelf for so long because how do you follow up something like Panic Room? Right. You know, and that was a lot of people's uh, problems right. with uh, Fight Club was – you know they waited and waited and waited after seven, and then mm-hmm. that Fight Club happened, and they just weren't, they weren't along for the ride. You don't think so? Well, in between that and that fucking bitch Rosie O'Donnell ruining the ending on live TV the day of the premiere.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it's just one of those movies where there is absolutely zero way it could have been a ginormous blockbuster. You think Fight Club didn't have a chance? I don't think it had a chance. I mean, I am so glad they made it. But it's just one of those you look at, and it's like, why would you think that would be a huge blockbuster? I mean, it's nihilistic. It's a total acid trip. It's confusing. It doesn't make you feel, quote, good, if you will, right? I mean, it's a hell of a a movie. But, I mean, having an expectation that it would be this huge thing, I don't know if that's even close to realistic.
0: It seemed so epic at the time.
1: Oh, and it is. But your parents aren't going to be interested. No. No, they were not. And that's the way you have blockbusters, right? Is it's multicultural, multigenerational. I mean, it's a pretty specific audience that wanted to see Vi Club. And, you know, we're looking at each other and we're it. We're the audience. It's like, oh, you guys are your early to mid-20s and uh, it turns out you're white. Yeah, you're the group.
0: (laughs) Okay. Name a movie that you saw lately that you want to rave about.
1: Oh, jeez. Um, I think there's been a couple. Um, I haven't watched a whole lot of recent movies. Um, I was pretty lucky in that I was able to Shanghai my daughter into watching a couple movies that I really enjoy. And I'm, so I'm not really answering your question. Well, I guess I kind of am. What did I watch recently? Well, I so, checked your letterbox. Yeah, so I watched uh, um, Bringing Up Baby, and I watched um singing in the rain back to back on the same night um Mm -hmm. those are absolute classics and i still find them as modern as anything that comes out now and i mean i've seen a that's the i mean i've put on my letterbox i keep saying uh, hbo max because i'm kind of addicted to it right now because their library of classic films is remarkable you know i saw adam's rib which i'd never seen before and that is excellent
0: Spencer Tracy,
1: yeah, Catherine Hepburn. Hed- and, and, and it is tremendous. I mean, that is a fascinating movie, and I, I would recommend anybody watch it. It, it. Have you seen it yet? No, not yet. It's, I think it leaves at, at the end of this month. Oh,
0: I gotta, it So catch I would recommend doing it. that.
1: Um, I've seen, Yeah, all sorts of great movies. I wasn't expecting that question, so my, I'm pr- kind of brain-locked right now. Yeah. But we also saw Spielberg. I saw Spielberg. I liked the first half of Spielberg a lot. Yeah. You know, I find that generally much more interesting. You know the film brats movement, and that whole, and just knowing, observing that they, you know, collaborated and worked together, I I find really exciting because those are some exceptional talents, and having them together like that is. It it was it was a it was a delight. The rest of it, I didn't find it satisfying, but I still found it you know good. Yeah. Right. It was funny, my daughter was also watching that kind of half, and she was just amazed. Like, oh, I didn't realize he made all those, and made me really reappreciate Spielberg for oh, sure. Oh, she, she didn't realize it? No, because it's one of those that, I mean, so many of his movies are, you know, verifiable classics, right? Oh, yeah. And. Pause. It's like, I don't know what's going on here. Okay, so we've got this all Does it, Do we
0: need to lock it?
1: Um, hang on. I just need to slouch the turn. Slouch, hey,
0: slouching is good. Slouching is not so, great. can you give me an example of one that she was like, oh, wow, I didn't know he made that? Uh,
1: well, you know, she is doesn't pay attention to credits, right? So she didn't realize that. I mean, she knew his name, and I think she probably had correlated E.T. and maybe like Jaws or something or Jurassic Park, I think. But it's like, yeah, the Indiana Jones in Close Encounters. And Schindler's List, and Saving Private Ryan, and The Color of Purple, and just all these movies that, for the most part, are still in the public conscience. At least people know the names, and to a certain degree, know the movie even if they've never seen it. Yeah. So I think she was just astounded that he was the guy with all of those. And so I mean, it did make me reappreciate it, or re yeah, basically
0: re- re-appreciate, reappreciate him.
1: Reappreciate him, and it's gonna. He's probably. I mean, he should be remembered as, what would you say, top three filmmakers of all time? He has to be. I mean, it's hard to argue. He has to be. Yeah, even his ones that weren't as successful are still generally pretty darn good.
0: Only two of his films have not made money.
1: Yeah, but I don't know if that's, I mean, how many of them would you say you just don't like? I mean, I can say that about Hook. Hook. I don't like Hook. Yeah, 1941's not great. Well, that's not terrible. that's not
0: great. But I mean, I I can't tell you how many times, particularly when I was a kid, that I've seen 1941,
1: yeah. and it never bothered me. Yeah, I never not, turned it's, it off. Like said, it's not it's not terrible. I mean, Hook's pretty. It's not not a success. Right. I don't know. Oh yeah, she didn't know like Ready Player One, which I don't know if that's a huge success, but there are parts of it that are
0: it, well, it, tremendous. It it, it made. It made a huge splash. It made a lot of money when it well, came out. It was yeah, a no, successful film.
1: Right, but just a successful narrative, right? Was it a compelling?
0: I thought that it was thing? a compelling story. Well, I, I, think, I think a lot of people, uh, I don't, I don't want to say elitists, whatever that means, but there are a lot of uh, haute couture people who, who didn't
1: but that's kind of the cash story in on of, it. Isn't that kind of the story of Spielberg's career? Is everybody looked down on him? You know, was like Yeah, and I thought the documentary Spielberg exactly. really went into that. Right. Now, I mean, if you look at it, the, the things that he's made are perfect. I mean, he, not everything he's made is perfect, but the ones that he did, it's like shit. His highs are about as high as anybody, period.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: Raiders. We I mean, do. that movie is a perfect movie.
0: Yeah. Raiders is a perfect movie.
1: Jaws is a perfect
0: movie. Jaws is a perfect movie. I mean. I wouldn't change anything in Temple of Doom. No. I saw that on the big screen about a month ago, and I love it.
1: I mean, Schindler's List, Jurassic Park. I mean. Schindler's List is pretty perfect. Same year. Yeah. Saving Private Ryan. It's not perfect. And I know that a lot of people that are extremely critical of it, but I think they're just trying to be cooler than now hipsters. Myself. Yeah. That's the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that's
0: that's a horror show, and I know there are a lot of people that are upset about the morality of it. Of you know this this guy who doesn't get to choose to be saved and so forth, and he's got all this moral weight that's placed on him by others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I get that, but there was no, nothing in that war was fair to anyone
1: war you know, generally
0: speaking isn't war generally speaking is not so i mean you know as, as far as like a point a Cabreckian point that's it you yeah, know,
1: but, if you if you don't
0: like that then you shouldn't like war but isn't
1: isn't the point of the movie is this is the closest simulation to war that we can present yep. in this you know yeah i mean that's kind of what it was
0: he did a did a fantastic job of the other thing in spielberg that i I found extraordinarily profound. And if mm. I were to, if I were to pin everything on, you must see this documentary for this one point, it's that one point that Kathleen Kennedy was describing being in that room at ILM with Dennis Murin and Frank Marshall. And, uh, I think Phil Tippett was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're was,
1: talking about the, re- using the computers.
0: Yes. And how everyone had the exact same reaction. And then one of the screenwriters said it was, it was seeing that dinosaur run on screen was the equivalent of sound,
1: yeah, no yeah I don't I don't remember who said that, but I remember that moment myself, yeah and it's it, pretty and he said, I'm not exaggerating yeah like everyone thinks
0: that I'm exaggerating
1: but He's I not. am not exaggerating so I remember walking out of that movie just a, just a gog just like I cannot believe what I just saw mm. yeah it, it's, it's uh, yeah, I remember seeing that as well saying, yeah that's yeah that's a pretty apt uh, description. Yeah, we're not talking about Tron. <laughs> no, we're not talking about Tron. It's like, oh, yeah, no, now we believe it. Now we buy it. Yeah.
0: I, I saw Jurassic Park in the cinema. Uh, I am not a Jurassic Park fan. Really? Yeah. You're I've, not a Jurassic Park really? I've never been along for that ride. I'm, I'm the odd man out. Like, I don't, that is I Again, it's not a bad film. Right. I will recognize the greatness of the film. Just didn't grab you. It's is, just it is, as a story, as a narrative, I was not in that bracket of whatever. I was mm-hmm. not in that audience. That's perfectly fine. But even I, in that theater, looked up at those dinosaurs running across the screen in a in a completely 3D motion and just thought, holy shit, how did they do that? It's like, oh, my God, they made dinosaurs. I cannot believe – I mean, you're talking about um, just, just 15 years after full-size Banthas mm-hmm. were being – shown very far in the distance off screen not off screen on screen um to to that and and the the problems for instance of having with the shark i i I found that argument compelling like i'm not getting into another shark situation (laughs) yeah right i will do anything that i have to do not into the shark to to not not have to deal with bruce again so i thought that was a profound moment in the
1: yeah, the no, it, was a, it was a pretty good documentary. It really was.
0: What was your did you like that whole sequence on his later uh later career last 10 20 years? It kind of no. dragged a little bit. Well, it
1: just wasn't as much cuz I think a lot of those movies just aren't as successful to me perfect even, or successful to me personally, although they're still pretty good like Minority Report. I don't have any desire to go back and revisit it. But something tells me if I did, I would like going, damn, that was pretty freaking good. You know, Catch Me If You Can Mm -hmm. is a good movie. But it was one of those where I wasn't seeing it at the right time in my life, right? Because, you know, the movies you see between the ages of, what, 8 and 28 are kind of the ones that oftentimes stick with you. It's not all that different than music, right? Because the music you like from a general perspective is defined in a certain limited number of years, you know, I don't know what it is, 15 to 25. Possibly. And it, Before then, you're not listening to your own stuff, and then after that, you're, like, only listening to your stuff, and you define your stuff in that general 10-year period. So I think that with a lot of those movies, it's, like, it's just not as personal to me personally. Huh. But it is one of those where they're probably, I mean, they're definitely excellent films. I mean, Lincoln's an excellent film. Yeah. Right.
0: I, I find Lincoln just I find doesn't excite Lincoln, me as
1: much as like oh I'm gonna watch this again.
0: I find Lincoln well, things are a little bit different. You know I'm I'm a history geek, right? But I, I found Lincoln just just extraordinary mm-hmm. scene by scene, and Daniel Day Lewis and his whole breakdown of that character. I've never seen. I think the closest you could get to actually the real person that we all grew up uh being told at least that you should worship.
1: Kind of like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park.
0: Kind of like yeah, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. But even uh the guy who plays um uh Gideon Wells, mm-hmm. who's in his cabinet, um, which we've seen in a million things whose name is escaping me. Um Sam Waterston yep. is playing uh, Seward and you know, I was raised um uh, since birth uh to hate Seward, <laughs> you know, just from a historical context. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sally Field just absolutely kills as Mary Todd Lincoln and right. all the craziness and, and, the, and the horror that that woman had to go through losing her husband, losing a child, losing her husband, losing another child. You know, it's, uh, I thought she delivered that pain on screen greatly and then how effectively her husband just had no time for her. He had no time for her. He had a civil war. He had he was, slavery. He was preoccupied. He, he just could not spare a moment for his wife. You
1: should probably tear down that statue of him. Wow. Just, he just didn't have priorities. <laughs> you went there. <laughs> kind of have to these days. Kind of have to these but days. But it's one of those where I do think that, you know, 50 years from now, the second half of his career is going to be really well recognized. I hope so. And probably there's going to be there is going to be that think piece that somebody puts out there that that's the important stuff, right? And they're not going to be necessarily wrong, right?
0: Right. So let's let's jump off the deep end into another uh, controversial moment here, since you mentioned HBO Max. That's and not controversial. I love HBO Max too. Um, I've I've spent a lot of time on it in the past mm-hmm. month. <laughs> yeah. And um, when's the last time you saw Gone with the Wind?
1: Um. Oh gosh, I was. But a young lad, you know, younger than 13, maybe nine. I mean, that's what, a four-hour-long movie? Yeah. Three hours and 45 minutes? And that was basically what I remember, is that this is a long-freaking movie. Yeah. Clark Gable's pretty cool. This is a long-freaking movie. And that was another one
0: of those films where – yeah, okay. That was another one of those films where um, uh, bring going back to that moment with the dinosaur on on the TV screen. And everyone's saying, "Oh my God!" And this is going to change cinema. And this is just like the introduction of sound, which, for our listeners, I'm sure all know, is Al Jolson's the jazz singer in 1930, I believe. Um, but the the advent of Technicolor and the use of Technicolor in Gone with the Wind mm-hmm. and uh, The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Uh, when I, I believe The Wizard of Oz got an Oscar that was like a special technical yeah, achievement that, that right. just for the color used in that film
1: yeah. and the special effects. I mean, it, it's a, it's a
0: the it's wizard of Oz. It, yeah. It's shockingly good for 1939. Yeah. It's shockingly good. Uh, my, my wife was always a huge fan and she always tried to get me to watch it. And I think we lived in Canada. It might've been, uh, 2014, 2013 before I saw it. And we saw it on a, on a, I guess it was an 85 inch screen in in our living room. And I was, I was putting up with it until that boom shot
1: Mm -hmm.
0: where they start uh, trotting down the yellow brick road and the entire entourage is behind them and the entire town is marching towards the camera. I was, I was, I was floored and i could imagine seeing that oh yeah on on the screen in 1939 there's usually a reason why the classics are classics that would that would be a reason why you
1: know it's just one of those that yeah i mean king kong watched that recently and it's really good yeah i mean it's not as good as i remember but it's still really good
0: yeah it still holds up
1: yeah and it's, have you seen that recently
0: not recently i i've got the i've got the uh i've got the king kong uh laser disc it's the criterion Shockingly violent yeah it is shockingly violent. Was that pre-code? I believe it was. Yeah.
1: Okay, but going on. I know mean, that wasn't the point. So, come with the Wind. Yeah, so... so was the last time I said I haven't seen it in forever plus a day.
0: Yeah, so... It was pulled off of HBO Max because Completely of the... absurd.
1: Uh, I'm right up there with Spike on that one. Did Spike say that? Oh, Spike thought it was ridiculous. Awesome. He, he said that should be shown. He said that, uh... um was a D.W. Griffith, the one that's escaping me. Uh, oh, the Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation should be shown. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, Twitter culture freaked out, and he had to backtrack, right? But, yeah. Did he, Spike had to backtrack? Yeah, especially with the Birth of a Nation. But I, I don't think he's wrong, right? These things should absolutely not be we watched,
0: gotten rid of. We watched Birth of a Nation in film school. Mm-hmm. You know, that was
1: – you had to see that. Yeah, and I think that – and, and From a it, technical standpoint, you absolutely have to, right? Absolutely. But I mean, okay, but go on. Well, it was it was just so
0: important to to understand the early days of of cinema, first of all, and and everything good and bad that that entailed. Um, how he just whitewashed the Klan, right? And the Klan's role in the film is is an important part of but our when history. You,
1: when you're watching, yeah, but when you're watching that movie in film class, you're not looking at it. Through you know looking for that stuff right you 're looking for okay, how is this mechanically done? Mm. this is a good narrative, why is it a good narrative, right? why is it effective if you will mm. right? this is an emotional movie, why is it emotional? It's, you know that type of stuff oftentimes at least it's been my experience is kind of the nuts and bolts of stuff
0: right well but it's it's both right it the, okay. we went we went through both okay there there was Uh, The technical aspect of what he was doing and how groundbreaking it was, and that was paired with he used that to promote this agenda, Mm -hmm. which was damaging to our society.
1: Yes, but didn't he also – rebound pretty well from that what was his
0: oh uh, he rebounded with uh, intolerance. intolerance right? Uh, but intolerance didn't do as well as birth right, of the nation but
1: from that more moral perspective well from
0: from his perspective I mean, right. you make a movie about the clan you're making a movie about the clan and he was he right. was excusing their behavior right uh, i would i would give uh, gone with the wind much higher marks considering uh, uh david o selznick actually uh, tried uh, very hard to, I wouldn't say whitewash, but change uh, a lot of what was in Gone with the Wind to tone it down mm-hmm. in terms of its racism so that it was less offensive. And, you know, you can argue with that point or, or not. HBO Max actually has, uh, if you if you choose Gone with the Wind on HBO Max, since they've reposted it, there's there's some fantastic uh, addendums that go along with it. Right. Uh, some interviews and, like, a, an introduction um, given by this uh, historian to, to put it into context for you. And I, I would advise anyone to, to watch those before they actually watched Gone right. uh, with the Wind. Like, for instance, when, when Leslie Howard and Clark Gable go out uh, trying to defend uh, Scarlet's Honor, uh, in the book, and I read the book uh, as part of a literature class when, when I was in my, my undergrad, uh, I, they, they are the Knights of the White Camellia. They are the clan. Mm-hmm. Those those southern gents, aristocratic gents, they are the clan when they're going out and burning shit and crosses and everything. And in the in the movie, that is entirely taken out. Uh, the the clan is not even mentioned in Gone, Gone with the Wind. Right. And that was they made it more scarlet focused. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an important part, not just for uh, toning toning down the racism, but also to bring the story more on focus. Right, and it focused more on on the plot and the yeah, narrative. when
1: you got a three hour and forty five minute movie, you got to streamline it as much as you can. Right, <laughs> you would hope. But it was one of those. I mean, I found the whole pulling of the movie off the service very troubling.
0: Right? No, I didn't like that at all. Uh, I thought that was a chicken shit move on HBO's part. Uh, I understand why they did it, and when they pulled it off, they also they also uh, announced. That they were they were going we're to put it back with, and we're getting laughed at. Yeah, that's perfectly fine.
1: We're very important people, on.
0: When they pulled it off of HBO Max, they immediately announced that we're going to put it back, and we're going to we're going to put it back with right. context. But you know, we can still buy Triumph for the Will, and we can still buy Olympia.
1: But you can't buy Song of the South.
0: No, you can't, and that's wrong.
1: I, th- I, I tend to think it is.
0: I find that a crime against um, our history as a nation to not have Song of the South.
1: I don't know if I get on the part, show, no, but I, I understand your point.
0: I would. I, it's, every, it's
1: really no different than banning books. It's literally no different.
0: No no medium should be banned in this this country.
1: I, I t- and not very much. You know, and I, also, it's,
0: Song of the South is not banned. No, Disney refuses yeah, to issue and it.
1: it. And that's, they and that's, it. that's de facto that's their right. banned. That's, that's the right as the producer of that film. When will their copyright expire? And it become part of the public,
0: 19, domain. Right? Right. Uh, so public domain. It was 1949, right? So seventy years after nineteen forty nine, so that's coming up in a few years. So, what happens then when it becomes part of the public domain? Then, uh, then the same thing that happened to the stranger. Right? No, no, what I'm
1: asking is, what do you think is going to happen?
0: It's going to be the illegal proliferation. Not even not illegal, but it's going to be the mass proliferation of that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the interpretation of it for their own political needs. Right.
1: But it's just one of those questions I wonder if all of a sudden, let's say in 30 years, if all of a sudden it is readily available as opposed to impossible to get right now. I just wonder. That's a good point. Just for your general audience. Because I I saw that movie in the theaters. I'm not that old. Yeah, on the re-release. It came out on a re-release in early 80s. Yeah, I think it was 83. And certainly I wasn't looking at it through any perspective. I remember being... Reasonably entertaining. I don't remember it being that great, to be honest with you. But
0: so, my wife, fun fact, is a descendant of Joel Chandler Harris, the author yeah, of the Uncle Remus stories. Okay, um, and Prayer rabbit and all that, right? And Harris, for for those who don't know, w- w- grew up and worked on a, a real antebellum plantation, mm-hmm. and found it very fascinating, all these stories he was being told, and uh, when slavery was was done away with, he, he grew into an adult, and he missed all of these inflections from the African-American population, and he chose to write them down in his own way and in his own style, which uh, a lot of people today find very offensive. Certainly at the time he did it, he thought that he was preserving these stories. Well,
1: if it's one of those words, an accurate representation of how that very specific
0: to yeah. him at that time. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I
1: don't know if that's offensive or not.
0: Well, I don't think it's offensive. Well, we live in an outrage culture. Someone's going to find yes. something offensive. Well,
1: absolutely. This, this table is, is offensive, offensive to thing.
0: me. Yes. Yeah, so I but, can't believe they t- painted this table white. Right. Fuck those people. You know, it's, it's that type of situation. No,
1: understood, understood.
0: But, but uh, I, I don't think that that film should be banned. If if anything, right. that film, just like Triumph of the Will, just like Gone with the Wind, just like Birth of a Nation, that film should be available and it should be watched and it sure. should be studied.
1: Yeah, but I'm just glad that it isn't one of those things where there is a governmental ban on that.
0: right. Right, no. The government of the United States should not be in the business of banning anything.
1: And I'm sure that they have, and there will be probably a zillion people who point things out. I can't remember any other things. Well, thing the Anarchist, Anarchist
0: Cookbook is available for 15.99 on Amazon.com. <laughs> if you can still buy that that damn thing, you should be able to buy Song of the South.
1: I tend to agree. It's, but, it, again, it is one of those where Disney owns it. Disney can do it if they see it. That. That's it very, is. That's it's, their...
0: it's very disappointing for Disney. They can do exactly what Yad Vashem did with Triumph of the Will, which is put that thing on a, on a black cover. Mm-hmm. And you know they put a swastika on it, and they put this disclaimer on the back, and and they said this this film needs to be shown in context, and it's got a commentary track with a historian walking you through scene by scene on it. I think that's what they need to have a Song of the South and Gone with the Wind, and sure. and every film well, that then you
1: can do it with every single film ever made.
0: Yeah, just 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 like we do. Yeah, for sure. That's Boy, that's perfectly fine. You, you know,
1: we've advanced as a society when these are the things that's stopping us on our tracks. You know, I'm not really yeah. joking. no, no, that's that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, we
0: can't go there because dot dot dot, and we'll make right. up whatever reason that exactly. we want to make up. The just like, um, just like Birth of a Nation. What really pisses me off specifically about the de facto ban was that Song of the South is so technically important. Yeah. Uh, Twenty years later, they're making Mary Poppins. And Disney's like, how the hell did we do this? And they pull Song of the South out so they can study how they, how they uh, broke the technological barrier in the 40s. Mm-hmm.
1: That,
0: that's amazing to me.
1: Yeah.
0: And it was also one of these situations where Disney was bankrolling his entire company and, his, and the future of the company's existence on one film, just like he'd done with uh, with uh, Snow you know, White and the Seven Dwarfs. And it paid off huge. It paid off big time. Not that there wasn't controversy with it, Right. So I think I think Disney needs to face these things. Uh, Warner Brothers has done very good uh, to label all of their cartoons from the 40s and 50s as these need to be seen in context. Mm-hmm. And they're racist characters. Uh, well, I'm I, I going that we
1: have to put that declaration
0: on there. I, th- I think I mean, you have to.
1: Why? It's from the 1940s.
0: Right. But you, you take Song of the South and you put it in your car when you're driving your – Four and five-year-olds to daycare, they're seeing those racist stereotypes. Isn't that on
1: the parent or the?
0: Well, it is, and I I completely understand that point. But I, I still think. I still think loud bangs in the kitchen need to be banned.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just one of those. I just find it very strange. It's kind of just. I mean, it's it's obvious stuff to me. That's like, why do we have? It's like you know. Well, we're I don't libertarians. Know, Raging Bull's a movie that came out, and it's not like he, you have to have somebody telling you, okay, he is not somebody you want to emulate. Yeah, don't
0: beat up your wife. It's yeah, like I gotcha.
1: it's, it's kind of obvious stuff,
0: right? It should it should be obvious to people I mean, who use their brains,
1: right? Right. And we kind of sell everybody short. We market to this lowest common denominator. I mean. Just frustrating. It's the this same thing where yeah, we, we have, you know, people who always freak out about—not always. Mm. Back in the day, they would freak out about violent video games or satanic music. It's not like you have to issue an Iron Maiden album saying, "This is not reality. This is entertainment."
0: So the uh, parental advisory explicit lyrics label on a CD,
1: which caused everybody to freak out. Yeah, not worth it. I no, it's dumb. Well, that is different. That's more of a rating, right? It's not a. Just like ex- a film rating. It's not an explanation of why it's not valid. So let me retract my previous exclamation. It's not dumb. It makes sense, right? If you're a parent, you're in charge of, you know, vetting what your children consume, right? But it's not. They are putting a rating out there. They're saying that this has mature elements and themes. But it's not sitting there saying, being a Satanist is evil, (laughs) right? The guys in Black Sabbath weren't really doing that. You know, it's just one of those that there's a difference between a rating that says, okay, look, this is the general contents versus having to explain it that, well, obviously, this is wrong. You don't call people these things. You don't behave. It's just I don't, I don't like it when other people are my parents. I barely like it when my parents parent me.
0: Yeah. We have very libertarian backgrounds.
1: Well, and we don't like tendencies. people.
0: Yeah. People yeah. don't like telling. We don't like people telling us what to do. Right. How to raise our kids. Right. What to watch. What Indeed, to read. What to drink. Yeah. F those people. Yeah, you know,
1: which they'd mind their own business.
0: I can I can make my own determinations right.
1: I mean, if you want watching to
0: even, Song of the South. You know,
1: I think it makes some, yeah, it makes some sense. You can definitely say, okay, this has bad language, mm. what we consider bad language now, or whatever. Not that they had bad language in that movie. I don't know. It's just one of those that I find it.
0: We don't need the government or Disney or Twitter telling right. us what to watch right. and what not to watch. What's
1: not okay to watch. Right? right. Yeah. And that's kind of, I guess, more of it than anything.
0: Valid point. This is going to be a shorter episode.
1: Well, yeah, people are starting to stir.
0: <laughs> no, it's just we're we're reaching the end of Oh, okay. of the questionnaire. What's a dad movie?
1: What's a dad movie? Do you want me to give you examples of a dad movie
0: or define it? I'd like you to try to define it if you can. If not, go ahead and just throw one out there. I have one as an example, but I'm not sure that it would meet a definition that you would come up
1: with. I, I, I don't know. I've never given it a whole amount of thought. Um, a dad movie would be something that... Uh, okay, I want to hear what you're going to say.
0: Well, just just opening up, Ford v. Ferrari. Definitely a dad that's movie. That's a dad movie. Right. And I, I want to say that probably most racing films... Or dad movies. Yeah, I would say so. You know, even um, Fast and the Furious. The first one. Yeah. The others just seem kind of ludicrous to I
1: me. don't know. I think the one where yeah. they drive... I can't remember it because it's number 5, 7, or 15. I'm not sure. The one where they're driving through Brazil with the bank on the back. I think that's an ultimate dad movie. Ultimate dad movie. No. Yes, it absolutely is. That's
0: ridiculousness. That's Oftentimes, a dad
1: movie is ridiculous. They're inherently sort of silly. That doesn't mean they're I bad. I don't that think the dad
0: movies bad. are kind of silly.
1: That's, that's Well, I mean, true. depending on your perspective, right, is Field of Dreams a dad movie? Yes. Is it kind of ridiculous? I see your point. Just depending on how you're looking at it, right? Right, right. Um, I think a dad movie is anything that has more or less your – it's earnest, right? It is got a – Fairly straightforward definition of right and wrong. It's got oftentimes the characters are on some kind of quest or mission. like are kind of following your general Joseph Campbell hero's journey type of thing. At least it could be classified as that. And it's one of those that at the end you walk out feeling better about yourself than worse.
0: The man from Uncle.
1: Definitely from my dad's movie. Yeah television show you know oh, oh well, i haven't seen the movie oh yeah with guy ritchie no, no, no you know no, you need I, to see I'm that thinking, i'm thinking of the television show from back in the day with robert vaughn and all that yeah
0: yeah I, I was a fan of the man from uncle yeah. from the 60s but you know you need to see that
1: okay
0: uh the gentleman that guy ritchie's last right. film
1: i do wanna, i like his stuff generally. definitely
0: speaking. a dad movie okay i believe that it's, so guy guy ritchie might be a dad movie director
1: more recent stuff maybe but I haven't seen most of his recent film. Well, I didn't see the King Arthur one.
0: Yeah, I didn't see that either. Uh, Luke said that it was mediocre.
1: Aren't all King Arthur movies, unfortunately, mediocre? Yeah,
0: yeah I think that you may have. I mean, I think there. they except the Sword in the Stone.
1: I, well, I think Excalibur is probably the closest to being incredible, but it's so bug nuts crazy. Yeah, that it's not.
0: That's bizarre. It's bizarre, but it's that's like, a psychedelic it's film
1: and terrible concurrently. And it has Helen Mirren, which is always a big point in dad movies. Is she Guinevere? No, she is, uh, Mordred? Uh,
0: Maybe, uh Mordred's, Morgana. Morgana Liffey, yeah. Mordred's mo- uh, mother, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Still mind-blowingly attractive. Top five beautiful women of all time. Helen Mirren? I think so.
0: She's still very beautiful. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah She still pulls it off. Yeah. It's like you're 17 you're, yeah, you're still pretty hot.
0: She just did a, she just did an interview with, uh, Mark Marin. that was worth going into. Okay. Where he brings up um, lots of films in her career that you don't necessarily
1: think of her. Think, yeah. PNN, yeah. yeah the, Caligula?
0: No, he didn't bring up Caligula. Okay.
1: I'm, I've never uh, seen that. I don't really what? See no, I just never.
0: I'll make you a copy.
1: I don't know if I need to see it, <laughs> right? It's not good, right?
0: No, it's not good.
1: <laughs> <Exactly so. laughs>
0: but she's amazing in it. And that's she why she and uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell.
1: And that's why are, God gave us Google,
0: yeah,
1: or Google Images, Google-y. I mean, I don't know. What, why do you bring? Why do you ask? What? What, do you, what? What? What's your definition of a dad movie? Oh, and sports, sports generally got to play some kind of or competitions. Yeah, the case, I mean, competition that's probably something that really defines a dad movie. Major League, some, be, yeah.
0: Dad, there's got to be like an element of comedy into it,
1: yeah, and absolutely.
0: an element of stick it to itness, sure. You know, and when I think of Major League and. Mm-hmm. and Ford v. Ferrari and almost an underdog nature.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree. And I think there's got to be a certain sense of morality with it. Properness? I'm not sure if it's properness, but they can't be morally ambiguous. It's got to be right? definitive. Are there any dad movies that really have antiheroes as the primary character? I can't think of one. I can't either. I mean, they probably exist, but I can't really think of one. Because it's one of those where it's, you know, it's apple pie, baseball, dad movies, you know. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. I mean, Dirty Harry, maybe.
0: Dirty Harry is an anti-hero.
1: I know. That's what I'm saying. Maybe. Is that a dad movie? Probably not. I don't know. My dad likes it, but I don't think it's a dad movie.
0: Is Dirty Harry an anti-hero? The first film?
1: Oh, yeah. I think so.
0: Because in the subsequent films, I see him definitely as a hero.
1: Right. And I think in the first one, he's an anti-hero. Yeah. I mean, he is definitely, depending on who you are watching that, you could definitely look at that character as morally bankrupt and a vigilante danger. Right. Right. I think it's just a really entertaining movie, and that's all it is, but that's okay.
0: So that that segues into the next discussion that I have marked down, which is...
1: Clint Eastwood movies.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, most of them are dad movies.
1: Oh, I don't know if that's accurate.
0: Which one is not. I mean, the bridges of Madison County is not a dad
1: movie. Unforgiven is not a dad movie. Oh,
0: you don't think so? Because he's an anti-hero didn't like that movie at all. Oh, really?
1: Uh, uh-uh. I enjoyed it. He didn't I, like, it. I at think all.
0: my dad did like that movie.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's more recent stuff. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I haven't seen Richard Jewell yet. I, I don't know. That is not
0: a dad movie. Is it not? No, that, that's a screw-over movie. I is pretty good. It's really good, yeah. Sam Rockwell's amazing in it. As always. That's another one of those things that... We were talking kind of before about um, Eastwood's career and just how weird it was in this sort of trajectory. And one of the things that I, I find just continually amazing is this this guy has a history of, of being sort of this um, far-right character in Hollywood...
1: Only because uh, it's relative to Hollywood. But go
0: on. You think you would be right down the center if you were not in Hollywood? I think
1: it would be a lot more center if it was not Hollywood.
0: If if it was okay, you know. But go on. Well, I it's interrupted just you. that's okay. This there are several of his films, and Richard Jewell is just one of them. Where Richard Jewell has Sam Rockwell in it, mm-hmm. and uh, Sam Rockwell is is very famously a, a Hollywood liberal. I mean, if you were going to pin hints, and he'd probably wear that as a badge and tattoo it on his chest, and that's perfectly fine. But if you look at uh, Eastwood's films, I mean, Sean Penn and, and Mystic River, for example, uh, you know how many times has Sean Penn gone to Haiti or the Dominican right. Republic to? To to showcase the the outrages there and so forth, uh, people people of the left don't don't tend to hold that against uh, Eastwood. They they tend to be the first thing that yeah I will clear my schedule to star in a Clint Eastwood movie.
1: Well, I mean I do think it's one of those where you know I hate the right wing left wing type of things because I mean what you're saying with Sean Penn you know, going to Haiti and New Justice like I don't consider that left wing liberal stuff right. Maybe humanist. Right. Right.
0: Well, well, to showcase what we've done wrong with – Well,
1: I guess that's where it becomes liberal or conservative is is who do you assign blame to, right? Is it America's fault? Is it the world's fault? Or the dictator in charge of that country? I guess it's really – but, I mean, going to Haiti in itself and just contributing in some positive manner is not inherently liberal, right? Right,
0: right, right. Because the
1: implication is then that – People who don't do that are conservative, which yeah. is
0: just—that's that's a bizarre to think, point to think about.
1: Yeah. But it is one of those where I think Clint Eastwood is regarded as a heck of an artist. Yeah, right. And I think independent of anybody's political leanings, that they always want to work with artists. I mean, James Woods is a notorious right-wing figure in Hollywood, and I think the reason he doesn't get a lot of work is probably just because he's just not that good of an actor anymore. As opposed to,
0: his, I think he's just too active on Twitter. I think that if the man would just shut up, could be, at, or if he never got on Twitter to begin with, he'd still be getting. You know, could be. We just watched uh, Luke, and I just watched uh, Casino. Yeah. And he shows up in Casino, and he's good, and he's great in Casino. I'm not a big Casino fan, but when he's on screen, I can't take my eyes off him.
1: Casino is okay. Go on. Well, in... Casino would have benefited had it not been the movie right after Goodfellas.
0: If he had done something in between, he had
1: done three or four movies. I think that Casino would be more well regarded.
0: I found it overlong, but that's just me.
1: No, no, it's not just you because your son's over there nodding yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, back to Eastwood, the the one thing that I that was Eastwood's kind of known for is building up this. I won't say hyper-masculine like uh, Stallone or Schwarzenegger. Certainly But definitely a a strong uh, masculine character up until about the time he starts directing.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, And then there's sort of the slow... Have you ever
1: seen Paint Your Wagon where he sings?
0: No, I have not. No, there you go. Go on. Paint Your Wagon's a... It's a a musical. Western musical.
1: Yeah, with Lee Marvin. They sing.
0: Lee Marvin Hmm? sings...
1: Yeah, and so does Clint Eastwood.
0: Okay. I can't
1: tell you how freaked out I was as a kid when I saw that one. It's like, oh, these two guys? Yeah, this is going to be great. Oh, my God, they're singing. It's true. Go on. Well. It's actually pretty good, too.
0: Well, I was just going to say that that I I won't say that when he starts directing, because that's Play Misty for me and and, uh, The Eiger Sanction and films like that, which are uh, action and adventure tales and so forth. But certainly The Unforgiven. Uh, does a lot to break down masculinity, uh, the bridges of Madison County.
1: Unforgiven doesn't break down masculinity. I'm not sure if I understand your point.
0: I think it rejects think a lot it, of the things that people point to him. At. Like, it's not the man with no name going into town and burning it to the ground. That's well, not I the Unforgiven. I think
1: it, it kind of does, actually, but it's just very interesting in that it takes it from the perception of the other people, right? Because I think it's kind of the same sort of – I don't know. I need, I need to revisit it. But it is one of those movies that I knew was great as soon as I saw it just because it stuck with me. It's one of those things where it is certainly not clearly defined exactly – it doesn't lead you by the nose to saying, okay, here's the point, right? Right. At least to me it didn't. Right. right. I don't think it's anti-masculinity so much as it is a reevaluation of you know, the what Western gunfighter. Well, right. It's kind of like Shane, you know?
0: Well, see, I, I never saw Shane as like this pro masculine character. He seemed like this person who was damaged from violence but he's and was manly. trying to find a
1: way. I mean, he comes through in the end. He comes through in the clutch. He does. He gets you the triple and clears the bases. Yeah. Have you seen Still Dawn? Still Patrick Dawn. Swayze, 1988. Oh, I can tell you I have not.
0: Jesus Christ. <laughs> Didn't we just say we were banning loud bangs in the kitchen?
1: I think you said they should be illegal, but I'm not sure if that was actually put to Congress.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's we the masculine. Oh, sorry.
1: We're, we're
0: we're nearing the end.
1: Okay. No, no.
0: Um. You saw Crimson Peak recently? Yeah,
1: Crimson Peak is really good. It's, I really did. You see it? No. I really enjoyed
0: it. Expound.
1: It's um. Well del toro is a very inconsistent filmmaker right it's kind of amazing how inconsistent he is not necessarily from performance but just from topics i guess it's always kind of in your science fiction fantasy malu, horror malu, right but i mean this is the same guy that did pacific rim yeah i and like pacific rim i don't dislike pacific rim right and if you told me that was the same guy that did Hellboy and Hellboy 2, I'd believe it. And the same guy who did Blade 2, I'd believe it,
0: right? Did he do Blade 2?
1: Yes. but Wow. Yeah. But then you say he's the same guy that did Kronos or The Devil's Backbone yes. or Pan's Labyrinth. You're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Shape and, of Water. Yeah, and I never I never saw that. I heard that was not good. Yeah. Even I won the Oscar. I haven't seen it. But this is much more. Now, I liked his... You know, the Kronos, the Pan's Labyrinth, the um, Devil's Backbone, which is a really effective, scary movie. This is just a very remarkably well-done gothic horror movie, right, that from your perspective, you would probably enjoy just from the set alone and the cinematography and just the atmosphere. Is really pretty cool. Um, Obviously, I hadn't really thought about it too much, but I remember turning it off saying, man, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Have you seen The Black Hole? When I was a kid. I saw that y'all saw saw it recently. (laughs) Something tells me it does not hold up like I think it does. Uh, But I've got to remember when that movie came out and being so stoked to see it.
0: Yeah, I was stoked to see it. I I bought it on DVD Uh uh, 20 years ago. When DVDs first came out, I am a big fan of the Black Hole, and I, I might be the only one. Are you
1: a big fan of the Memory of the Black Hole or an actual fan
0: of the movie? There, there are many things to recommend it. Um, first of all, is Robert Forster. Okay. Um, the cinematography in the Black Hole is pretty absolutely cool. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they shot it on seventy or not, but you have got an enormous canvas. And the shot composition really boggles the mind.
1: Yeah, and it was what by far Disney's most expensive movie at the time, wasn't it?
0: I I think it I think it was. I mean, it was seventy nine. It was it was one of those batch of films like after Star Wars, they just greenlit a whole bunch right. of sci fi shit mm-hmm. that had no business being made. And if if they had really just taken a pause and a breath and worked through it, uh, the black hole, the the script. Uh, and the screenplay and the direction is is horrible.
1: Okay, that's a good.
0: It's good foundation. It's absolutely horrible. <laughs> and if they had just if they had just fixed, there's nothing wrong with the production design. Right, their models are amazing. Uh, their their space shots are kind of dated, but that's that's a function you know, of it. It's seventy nine. Yeah. yeah, it's that's fine. Uh, Maximilian Shell is a great villain. The dialogue is a little bit hokey. Um, Again, but it's it's overlaid with this John Barry score. Mm-hmm. John Barry did like seven or eight Bond films. Uh, he also did Game of Death, uh, the Bruce Lee uh, movie. The one that that we'll,
1: they finished after he died.
0: Yeah, which we'll we'll get into that in, in, in a little bit. Date. Yeah, well, you know, probably later, about five ten in a later minutes time. Okay. Yeah, unless you want to wait until after you you watch them.
1: No, no, no. Actually, okay.
0: go on. Continue. Okay. Uh But the I think there's a there's a lot of good things in the black hole. There's a lot of just ripped off Kubrick shots, okay which is not bad. Um, it's, and actually the farther away you get from Star Wars in in that movie, the, probably the better mm-hmm. right uh, but just just in terms of uh, uh, it, it's not what the movie is about it's how the movie gets there right I mean there, there is no action.
1: No, there's, there's a little bit of action.
0: There's people firing lasers at each other and trying to run. Okay. That is in that film. I like you
1: say trying to run. they, they not are not a that of,
0: successful at it. They're not. It's not a very successful action movie. Sure, okay. That's what I mean. But okay. the you know the the image of the robots and Maximilian, the big Darth Vader like character, mm-hmm. brilliant, brilliant concept. Yeah, I remember the big the robot
1: with a razor with blade razor, spinners.
0: Yes, just brilliant concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh, just not used effectively in storytelling, and so that that's why I I I like the black hole.
1: Yeah, no, I, I have not seen that. Man, it's been forever. you seen Made recently. Made. Favreau's first film. I'm, no, that's not his first film. Is it? I believe it is. Oh, it might be. Yeah, it might be the first Swingers film. Swingers is Lemon's film. Right, yeah. He, I mean, he wrote it and all that. But yeah. Yeah. I, have, I don't know if I've ever seen Made. I really don't know Dave. if I've seen it. I'm, I just I don't know if I have. Dave.
0: We just got through talking about 90s cinema. Hmm? You haven't seen Made.
1: I'm not going to sit here and say that I've seen everything. <laughs> you, t-
0: you need to see Made.
1: I, th- I thought you, uh, how, what did you think of it? Uh, it
0: was my second time seeing it, and uh, I was about ready, and Luke too, I was about ready to strangle Vince Vaughn. That's not a. After about an hour. Uh, but that, that was kind of the point of the movie. Right. Um, Sean Combs shows up in it. Sean Puffy Combs? Yes. P. Diddy himself? Yes. Puff Daddy? And yes. And I have to say, I want to see Sean Combs in more films. I thought he was amazing and made, and i I really think that he he could be he could have definitely more of a Hollywood career um if he tried
1: or he could have i suppose uh,
0: i don't know I don't know why he's not in more films he seemed he seemed to have a natural presence on screen. Yeah. Not like an in, like infectious if, Eddie Murphy type, right. but but certainly he seemed very skilled at it. You okay, know, a lot I mean, of these performances, you know, if you're going to get up on stage for two hours a night, you're putting on a show. You're putting on a character a sure, play. I guess he could
1: probably do it now because he's not as well-known. How is he not as well-known? He's Sean Combs. David. Mm-hmm. We're asking my 15-year-old son. Do you know who Sean Combs is? I do not. Do you know who Puff Daddy is? No. See, there you go. You have to remember, this is 20 years ago, Jeff. I'm, I'm, I'm only 15. Moving on. <laughs> the
0: Bruce Lee box set. Okay. Okay. The Bruce Lee box set.
1: The Criterion Edition.
0: The Criterion Edition, which I have been eagerly awaiting and, for. And
1: you've gone through all the discs?
0: Yes. Well, no, not the supplements. Okay. Just the films. And there's only...
1: There's what, five movies?
0: Let's see this no so there's only I think there's only five movies
1: oh actually I think there's
0: there is The The Big Boss 1971 then Fist of Fury 1972
1: Return of the Dragon and
0: then uh, Way of the Dragon 1972 and then Enter the Dragon 1973 and then Game of Death 1978 so five five movies isn't
1: Game of Death 2 included in that as well is a bonus?
0: No, it's not. And I didn't even know about it until uh, Luke found it on IMDb.
1: I think, for some reason, double-check, I think Game of Death 2 is included, I think. I mean, I, I could be totally well, wrong. You own it and I don't.
0: It's possibly on the oh. one of the supplement
1: discs what that I, I haven't haven't gone into yet. Okay, but go on. So, have you seen Game of Death 2? I have not. I, just, I, I, I thought I'd seen that it was and in being interested just from the curiosity standpoint.
0: Well, we we ran through them all i believe it and except for the supplements and uh, the only let's see the only Bruce Lee i was exposed to up until now of course is is Into the Enter Dragon, Dragon. Right. the the director's cut that came out on dvd which apparently has uh, 6 minutes of of Lee that no one had previously seen and once you find out what scene it is it's kind of amazing to think that that film didn't have that footage in it um it's him philosophizing in the beginning about being being a martial artist and what well, you I'm want to do in training. i would be
1: included at all, actually. Yeah, it was, he was kind, of kind of shocking he body. wasn't in there.
0: Yeah. Um, and then I, I saw a documentary, I guess it was around 1980, 81, is when it was made. I don't know when I saw it, but it had people like Chuck Norris and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar talking about Lee. And, and I was telling Luke about it, about how uh, he had to leave Hong Kong, like he couldn't. Everywhere he went in Hong Kong, there'd be some, some guy out in the street tapping his foot three times, which was the challenge. And yeah, he yeah, would have I'm to get imagine. into a fight with him right. and then kick his ass and throw him into an apple cart and go. And he couldn't go anywhere.
1: Well, don't forget, his hands were registered as lethal weapons. <laughs> that means if he kills you, then he could go to
0: jail. shit. Anyone who kills anyone accidentally goes to jail. It's called manslaughter. <laughs> anyway, so uh, over the arc of the five films that we watched Uh i actually saw a growing actor okay i I saw the the professionalism of sure uh now we forget of course that he was acting for 10 years before he ever
1: yeah with headline he was in
0: hollywood a lot
1: yeah he was in all was it uh, a green hornet right yeah for a whole year right and then yeah okay but go on
0: Yeah, so I I found it very interesting to to see basically his first starring role and his last starring role, and you can see the arc of him uh, just becoming extremely talented over that period of time. That's separate from his fighting style, which was crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you talk about an an individual fighting style just as catered to his personality as, say, Jackie Chan's was, and completely Two different different actors, two different fighting styles. Kung Fu is not Kung Fu. But it really worked with personality. Uh, Yes. And I think it was the the first one we watched, which was, I think, Way of the Dragon. You talk about speed. That guy was fast.
1: Yeah, he was kind of quick.
0: I couldn't believe, almost to the point where you were actually thinking, are they speed? They must have sped speeding the film up. up. The camera. But right. I don't think that they were. I think literally the frame rates just couldn't catch me. It was so right. quick. You've seen camera pans, particularly at the, what's the standard industry rate? Is it 24 frames per second? I believe so. I think it's what it is. And things blur. Like mm-hmm. on screen, they just blur it's just not.
1: Which is the real problem with like the new TVs that if they don't have the blurring on, it looks freaking weird.
0: Right. Yeah. And and uh, I like uh, what Peter Jackson's trying to do, which is to, to do the faster. Frame rate. I don't remember if it's 36 frames per second yeah, or 48 frames like per second all. for the Honda or something so
1: distracting, like that. I couldn't believe it. But people,
0: yeah, people find it distracting, but then, then when the camera pans across an action scene, then you can actually see everything.
1: Right, but that's not the way your eyes really work.
0: You prefer things are
1: blurred? Well, I'm not wearing my glasses right now. But no, no. I mean, they're, go on. I am getting you off topic. Getting, I don't yeah, yeah well,
0: that. we'll do more research. Right. We'll revisit that later. But Lee, Lee was just extraordinarily fast. And, and particularly by, the, by Game of Death, uh, which you're going to have to go through and watch all of these so we can have a more in-depth con- conversation later. If I remember correctly from, from the booklet that came with the Criterion set, he, they shot 30 minutes of fights and never got to finish it because he passed away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then they edited that 30 minutes down to 11 minutes or 12 minutes of, of two fights. And they used that as the finale for the film of Game of Death. And those are... Fan- huh? Oh, three fights. Three fights. Three fights. So that's the finale of Game of Death. And you can really see where Lee was going with that film. If I'm not
1: mistaken, wasn't he supposed to go up a pagoda with five levels? Yes. And each level was going to be a... Different fight style. Right. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. And uh, and that was yeah. And that was effectively was going to be the the finale of of the film, and it was going to be the last half hour. Mm-hmm. They just they just didn't have that much. At least um, they had that. At least at least they have that. Um we can talk more about it later. I'd encourage you to watch it, but I I I don't remember growing up thinking of Lee as an actor.
1: No, that's certainly not. Yeah.
0: Right. He was a kung fu guy. Yeah. Uh now Lee, to me, is an actor. Like okay. you can actually see him, you Perform. see his, his yeah his talent, and and it it, it seems like such a, a missed opportunity where you have someone kind of like Sidney Poitier, was the the leading vanguard of the African American acting community. Poitier,
1: yeah,
0: Poitier, is that not his name?
1: Poitier. Po- Poitier? There's no N. Po- Poitier. Poitier? Poitier. Poitier.
0: Poitier. There's no N.
1: Look There's no.
0: Didn't point pointier. It's there's a, it's P O I point T A. All right, go on. Right? Is that not?
1: Go on. We're again. We're going off topic. It's my fault.
0: Pronounce it again. Poitier. Poitiers? Sydney Poitier. Sydney Poitiers.
1: That's always the way I pronounce it. That Doesn't matter. All okay. right. All
0: right. He's a great actor. Yeah. Poitiers.
1: Sydney. Sydney. Sid. Sydney's great. Sid. Bruce
0: is great. Sid kills it. What What I was saying was it would have been awesome if. Bruce was able to do with his career what Sidney was able to do Sidney right. Poitier became a, a great director yeah absolutely. Made, put out some awesome films like Stir Crazy is like Stir Crazy to think of as a Poitier film but yeah it doesn't make sense no it doesn't but Shoot to Kill is awesome Okay. that is an awesome just
1: think think hard that's boiled dead
0: film It's the one with uh,
1: isn't it him and Tom Berenger Tom
0: Berenger and yeah, Christy Alley from Cheers Christy
1: it's Christy or, Alley <laughs> did I
0: say Christy <laughs> yeah
1: I, I guess I'm going to be that guy. I'm sorry.
0: So, it's not Christy? No, it's Kirsty.
1: Kirsty? Kirsty.
0: Kirsty. Kirsty. Kirsty Allen. Yes. Okay.
1: Okay. Kirsty Poitiers is not relevant in, in my vault. <laughs> that's,
0: that's all right. I, mean, I suck. That, that's fine. That's, okay. But Shoot to Kill is awesome. So it'd be uh, Bruce had, Bruce Lee had written a script mm-hmm. and he was choreographing his own fight scenes. Like the next step for him was to be a director. Right. So it would have been awesome to see well, wasn't him. wasn't
1: Game that of Death. Originally going to be his director. I think that was going
0: to. I think that was the one was going to be the one that he was going to right. direct. Yeah. Thought
1: yeah, that I read somewhere.
0: Yeah, so watch those and and we'll get back next time. What? Okay, Lucas spelled it out. P O I T I E R. Poitier.
1: Yeah, that's that's.
0: Okay. So when I originally said it, there was an said, N.
1: Yeah, you were saying pointier.
0: Poitier. Poitiers. Okay, not it's it is definitely not Poitier. That's what I thought. Yes, Poitier. Oh, uh, one thing that I forgot about before we when we briefly mentioned Sydney Uh was there's this there's this great book called um, uh, "The Year That Hollywood Changed." It was about 1968. Okay, and it went through Bonnie and Clyde and Hello, Dolly, and old Hollywood, new Hollywood, the Wild Bunch, and um, um, already mentioned Bonnie and Clyde was the other one I care. Doctor Doolittle and what a catastrophe that was. And then they, they brought up uh, Guess Who's Coming to get the Dinner mm-hmm. and bringing Spencer Tracy out of retirement and doing that whole thing. And it was this sort of – it was this almost laughable behind-the-camera scenario going on where film effectively has very challenging – obviously in the age of before digital, I'm trying to frame this into words. They had problems with Sydney on, on screen and how his skin color showed up in, oh, okay. in, in color All after right. the fact they ran several, uh, excuse me, several test runs and they did several screenshots or screen tests so that they could choose the right color stock and then uh, how to develop it properly, properly later. In the chemical process, and they were just having a one hell of a time doing it because of the complexion of his skin. Because let's face it, up to that time, Hollywood had not had a whole lot of successful leading black male actors, or, 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 or of any any minority types, in in which they could successfully color photograph. Sure. And most of uh, Poitier's films up to that point were uh, were black and white films, where yes. you just didn't have that and same challenge. Racist. Right. So they were they were actually struggling to come up with a, the, the correct color correction mm-hmm. and they were struggling to 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 get this and brightener on a schedule and so forth. And this was supposed to be like one of these amazing uh, breakthrough films in, in terms of uh, uh, destroying a boundary or breaking down a boundary. And at the same time, they've got uh, these meetings um, in the studio about, OK, well, if we lighten his skin tone. It will help the color correction process. Okay. And then the director's saying, do you do you understand what you're saying? You're yeah. trying to lighten his skin color. The, the entire purpose of this film is, is to is, is to be more equitable
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and to, to break through the color barrier. And you're actually telling me to lighten his skin. Yeah, like, I'm then, not going to do it. I,
1: don't, I, don't, I mean, that was purely from a, a technical perspective. Right. It, right? it wasn't and being done saving. as a
0: – Right, you right, know, right. It was yeah. one of
1: those where it's like – they're not trying to turn him into Ricardo Montalban.
0: That's that's an apropos you know. point. Yes, right. But I
1: understand. Yeah, I understand. It. The irony is the irony is you're trying to whitewash like, wow. a black man yeah. into
0: making a film about a black man right. breaking through the barrier.
1: So if we make it lighter; it's a lot easier. Right. It is pretty common.
0: Like, that's well. Isn't isn't that kind of our society? We just make it a little bit whiter, and then everything's fine. In India. India has a huge problem with these whitening creams um, because India has a, a color scale just like the, the United States does. And they, they sell whitening creams, and they're trying to get darker Indians to, to use them. Right. There's a huge backlash in it right now. And right. Then, then you get into notions of Michael Jackson and bleaching and surgery and all of that. Right. I just thought that was, a, that was an interesting.
1: It is. I mean, it's, it's definitely comical, right? It, it is. absolutely
0: is. And, and to think that you would have to do anything to make uh, Sidney Poitier any any better of an actor. Like, like he doesn't need it. He
1: doesn't need right, it. Right, but it, again, though, it's not – that That wasn't, that wasn't the, the way, point. The way you're to, saying it, it wasn't, like, to make it more palatable to the general audience. It was like, how do we save money? How do we make this work, right? Right,
0: right. So They're, they were having technical Right, it's like, look, so,
1: we're just trying to make this work.
0: It was, it was an interesting page. Oh, it, half, is it. it is that.
1: It is funny. Yeah. I mean, it's inherently comical as all get-out, for yeah. sure. For sure. But – you know, I haven't seen that in forever. And it's just one of those. I need to go back and watch some more of those uh, Tracy Hepburn movies. Because, like I said, I think um, Adam's Rib is the only... No, that was uh, Kevin Hepburn and... Um, Cary Grant. Cary Grant, thank you. It's like my favorite actor. There's brain locking, but Cary
0: Grant's your favorite actor?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think Cary Grant is my What's favorite What's your favorite
0: actor. Cary Grant movie?
1: That's the problem is I can't come up with one. There's like 15. You Don't know, North by Northwest... Um, Philadelphia Story, His Girl Friday, you know, Bringing a Baby, Arsenic on Old Lace. Charade. Charade, exactly. Um, what's the one that I'm, uh, if, if Angels Had Wings? What is that one? Uh, the Howard Hawks movie? Oh, uh, yeah. Ay, I'm just totally blanking. I mean, he was tremendous, you know, and he had a lot of style. He was definitely suave and deboner. Yeah. Uh,
0: I've got a final thought before we can sign off. Oh, okay. Um, I, I'm recently reading um, Peter Bogdanovich's book, "Who the Devil's Who the you're, Devil you're Made It." You're
1: a big Bogdanovich guy.
0: I read a lot of his stuff. It's not a criticism. Um, it's just an observation. I, I haven't I haven't seen too many of his movies. That is
1: really ironic. That's I'm, more ironic than trying to lighten Sydney's skin.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm as as he is a film historian and mm-hmm. a film documentarian. I really appreciate the man's work. Like sure. he's given his life into understanding film as an art form. Mm-hmm. Just as a director, I just I'm just not I'm not in like You're I've just seen You're not compelled Mask to watch him? And, no. No, I didn't like Texas Bill. I'm not a big fan of last picture show. What
1: about uh, what's his... Never
0: what's, Saw Paper Moon?
1: What's the Screwball comedy you did with the, They all laughed. No. I can't I don't have my glasses. I can't see. His they? Girl Friday? No, that's You've never seen His Girl Friday? It's a yeah, it Power Docs, Howard Hawks. Yeah, it is a Hawks. No, that's not the one I was thinking of. Um, I think it's Angels uh, God. Something with angels and wings. Something with angels and wings, and it's a male airplane thing in China. I think. Yeah. But okay. um, what about a,
0: no? Um, anyway, uh, the, the the one Beth- he Beth- did Lord? with uh, Kristen Dunst about the the Hearst uh, incident, uh, the Cats Meow. I really enjoyed that. Right. But other than that, I'm I'm not like a right. I, I just don't prefer his films, which you, is ironic. You like his writing, just not as I face. like his writing. Uh, he wrote a great book on Orson Welles called This Is Orson Welles. Uh, that was shortly after he died. Anyway, so I was reading this book, which came out know, about 20 years ago. It's hard to find in print, so I had to get a Kindle book. I'm not big into Kindle books. Right. I don't like digital media. So I'm, I'm trying to uh, – I'm just parceling through it a few pages a day. But there was this very, very interesting take in it where he was talking to Alan Daly, who was one of the first filmmakers ever started his career i believe like 1908. Mm-hmm. He was actually a an engineer, an electrical engineer and got into it on the lighting side before before he became a cinematographer, and then he got into screenplays, then he got into editing, and everyone back in those days. Here's the next note, which is only angels have wings. I think
1: that's it. Yeah. Only yeah. It's totally locking It's embarrassing.
0: So in the, in the early days, everyone who worked in film had done something before. Mm-hmm. because film was so new right. that just only makes sense everyone had previous careers but the interesting thing that he told bogdanovich in which bogdanovich claims that he remembers because he had seen films earlier it was when they were when they were made out of silver nitrate and they were actually really using silver mm-hmm. in the film uh, and there's at some point i believe it was the late 1930s or, or early 1940s they stopped actually using silver and they were using a substitute in the nitrate but before they stopped using that additive uh, the film actually would glow
1: okay.
0: on screen so when you when you went to see the silver screen not only was the screen itself Hence the name. tinted uh, a silvery color so it could give you the best reflection but the film itself um, through the projector would would cast a a glow on screen that really enthralled the audience. And it was Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why the audience went back is to see that magical glow.
1: Right,
0: And it was one of the things that in uh, the wizard of Oz, for example, they tried to recreate with color and uh, they, they probably failed. Although if you see that and and gone with the wind, there is something special about that, that haze, that color haze that you
1: see in both films. In adventures of Robin hood, adventures of Robin hood. Yes. Yes. There's a very specific look that's of that time and of that material. Yeah, the classic Hollywood. Yeah, I find it very pleasing myself. I like it very much.
0: Very cool. So, do you have any closing thoughts about classic Hollywood? Is there anything you want to recommend?
1: No, not off the top of my head, to be honest with you. I mean, classic Hollywood is classic Hollywood. I mean, see any one of them, and they are the best, in my opinion. But the one thing we are going to have to get back to, and not today, sometime later, is I have this weird feeling, and I want you to confirm it right now. Who do you prefer, Paul Thomas Anderson? Or Paul W.S. Anderson.
0: Dun, dun, dun. Okay, PTA, as right. he's famously referred to as. We are, yep. Or Paul W.S. Anderson.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to have to... I bet you go you, with the latter. You're going to have to give me some films of Paul W.S. Anderson.
1: Event Horizon. Um, Shit. What's the name? Of the uh, the uh, He was married to Jovovich... Um, Miliovich, resi- yeah, the resident. Evil. I
0: instantly like him.
1: Yeah, I suspect that's the- yes. Yeah,
0: she's born like a week after me. We're the same age,
1: so we're gonna have to revisit that. So we
0: were destined to be together, um, even though she was born in Ukraine.
1: It's okay, never would have worked out anyway. She's got red hair.
0: Let me let me pull up the IMDb so I can look at his films,
1: because you might be the only person on the planet who I believe authentically would fall on his side.
0: Paul W S Anderson? Yeah. Anderson. Paul W S Anderson. Oh, he did the Resident Evil mm-hmm. franchise. Yeah. Okay. That's what I said. Well, I did you, did I you wasn't go? very clear. No. Okay.
1: But he did he did that. He did Event Horizon. Yeah, I, can't I, remember I
0: did not like event, the first hour of Event Horizon. It was like the first hour of Leviathan. Yeah. Oh wow, that had potential, and then it just went to shit.
1: Well, it's more like right the about first, the
0: time Richard Krenn It's About dies.
1: the uh, same as uh, Sunshine. 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 The Danny Boyle sci-fi, sci-fi flick.
0: Oh Jesus, he did Alien versus Predator. Yeah, that's pretty fucking terrible.
1: That's pretty unlawful. No, he did, with, uh,
0: yeah, he did Soldier with Kurt Russell. That's he a badass so film. <laughs> no, I like that film. That's an underrated uh, sci-fi action film. But I do remember Kurt Russell saying, like, never again. This is my last sci-fi. I'm not, you know. No, that's that's a great movie. Don't like. He did Mortal Kombat. The first one. Yeah, the first in 95. Yeah. No, I, oh, I, like no
1: the, I like the <laughs> Resident <laughs> Evil films.
0: I mean, I went to go see Resident Evil uh, the premiere weekend. I think it was one of eight people in the theater. Mm-hmm. And I I thought that uh, Jovovich is not an, an actor. She's she's a model. And she got into acting because she looks pretty. Because Richard Linklater said, let's throw that girl into this ensemble cast. Right. Uh, Kids in the 70s. And she really stands out uh, because of her looks. And then she had to act on the fly. One of the best things that I've seen her do, not by by Paul Anderson, is he did a, a Death Race a, too. Yeah, I saw Sorry. that. Yeah, with Jason Statham, that was shit. Yeah,
1: I like I that
0: terrible movie. Great, great concept, but I prefer the first Death Race. Okay, go on I The totally, one with Roger again, Corman and again, uh, David a, Carradine
1: and Sliced Alone.
0: Yeah, Sylvester Stallone's in it is good. Yeah, but hes yeah, I think he's billed as Sly Stallone. Yeah, because yeah, he's sly. Because he's sly. Um, anyway, like, I, I thought uh, um, she was in a film that, I, that was really good. Mel Gibson um, was in it. It was very strange. The screenplay was written by Bono and The Edge, and it was called The Million Dollar Hotel. Oh, I've heard of this. Yes, and you you talk about a concept that's interesting but does not work right but at least they tried but they they tried very hard yeah and and the the, the Jeremy Davies from uh Saving Private Ryan he yeah. played the interpreter and then mm-hmm. he was in the remake of Solaris under Soderbergh right. very good actor he was in it it was basically this uh this hotel where every Every relative who couldn't afford uh, mental health for their family members dumped them in this hotel and left them there. Hmm. That's why, and so it's called the Million Dollar Hotel. So all these people have just different emotional issues, which is very sad to think that we treat members of our society that way. But regardless, well, that's a movie. Those
1: people treat those people like that. I take care of all the crazy people I know. Go on.
0: I just hope they take care of me because I'm (laughs) the crazy one in my household. Isn't that right, Luke? Yeah. So anyway, that was that was an interesting film. Uh, that's one that, as far as her, her acting abilities, it stands out. Resident Evil, I thought she made some very like brave choices in terms of her acting career. It's not easy to say, I'm going to be an action star. Like, I'm known for being this pretty thing, but now I'm going to be an action star. That's a career leap. So she tried very very hard to do that. Yeah, and that's kind of what she's been doing. It, right. And she, I think she's been doing it very successfully. I mean, she was married to Luke Basson for, I don't know, five or six years. And, and he tried to turn her into this like enormous international star and i would say largely it failed although uh, everyone is going to remember her in the fifth element right so i don't I mean that's failed. so it could but it didn't it it didn't convey into this in, this enormously successful Ange-Jo- angelina jolie like career is what right. i'm saying right um mainly because of the messenger and the, the messenger just absolutely flopped and uh, I'm not exactly that. sure why. That was the Joan of Arc movie. Oh, I vaguely remember that. Right, memory. which which had, like, Dustin Hoffman in it, which was, like, confusing to everybody. Like, why is Dustin Hoffman now, in yeah. this movie? Yeah. Um, but regardless of it, uh, the career arc that she did for the Resident Evil movies and how they, they tie in together. I'm not the Resident Evil expert. My brother, believe it or not... He's the Resident Evil expert. He's got them all. Watch them all every year. He could right. probably be more informed on
1: this the particular
0: topic. Didn't. But, but I, I do like his those six films. <laughs> so, going back to the original, who do you like better? I, I do not care for PTA. That's um, the thing. It's like, I, I, I got to
1: hear it. It's like, do, do you not like Paul W.S. Anderson more than Paul Thomas Anderson?
0: I just, I, I don't see anything
1: we're likable not, in his not, films. You're Nah. okay. um, I think we should be done because well, this will. You're not going
0: to ask me about Wes Anderson?
1: Well, Wes Anderson's great. Yeah, everybody loves Wes Anderson.
0: Well, I I don't know if that it's particularly true, but I if you're gonna choose you like one Anderson, of the Anderson those three, like I I love Wes Anderson. I love his movies. I will sit through his films. Uh, I find his idiosyncratic nature and his quirkiness charming. just absolutely charming. Charming is a very good word for it. Uh, my wife and I watched uh, that one crazy one with Ray Fines in the Hotel. Oh the yeah, downstairs. that's great. Uh, <clears throat> one, Grand the, Budapest. Yeah, yeah, the Grand really Budapest. So, that. That was shockingly good yeah, and in really fun. We laughed all the way through it. We thought it was, we thought it was great. Yeah, his new one's
1: supposed to be coming out, but who knows when now?
0: Yeah, not the Dark Jalen Limited. That was the last one, but the, no,
1: the one the that's supposed to Bud- be coming Budapest out. Budapest was the latest. Actually, I think Isle of Isle of Dogs was his latest, which I haven't
0: seen. I have not seen that. It's one of his
1: stop motion ones.
0: Yeah, yeah. I understand it's good though. I understand. Yeah. And the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, he did that one. Too. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really I saw on Criterion. Yeah, I've got Rushmore. I like Rushmore, although it's not like Stellar.
1: Rushmore's pretty darn good.
0: And you know, well, first film or no second? Who did the production design on uh, Bottle Rocket was Polly Platt?
1: That yeah, uh, I think I did know that. Yeah, and she's quite well known and talented.
0: Yes, yeah, and she's she's getting a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit uh, known now that the podcasts is coming out every other week. But anyway, I just wanted to end on that note and thanks that for bring up the the anderson
1: well we'll definitely we'll definitely revisit and i want to show up with some homework. okay all right man we'll do it Thanks thank very you very much, much. come by